Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. I'm your host, Mike Davis, and each week I bring you conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Leaders creating social impact through their work and inspiring positive social change across a wide variety of sectors. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy the next 40 minutes guaranteed to inspire you with our signature blend of wisdom, experience, and banter. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. It's not just about um, illness or, you know, disorders or it, it comes in many, many forms. And really, like you said, the idea is just actually getting to talk to other people who are going through similar things mm-hmm. um, because this old school notion that you have to keep it all inside and not talk about it and, you know, we have to be like this kind of, I don't know what the word is, but, you know, we're infallible. Yeah, Welcome back to another action-packed episode of Humans of Purpose. First off, a big thanks to our major sponsor, Neon Treehouse, for all their wonderful social media support. We hope you enjoyed last week's sponsored episode with Nick Baker of Australia's first social enterprise holiday park, Reflections Holiday Parks. If you want to partner with Humans of Purpose to promote your organization, products or services, we do this just a handful of times each year with Values Aligned Partners. To learn more about this opportunity, read on in our show notes below. A quick call out on one of the member benefits that our gold members have been raving about recently, which is our brokered introduction service. A unique thing about Humans of Purpose is that it's not just a podcast, it's a podcast that connects people, enabling them to access great opportunities. If you want to be introduced to any of our talented near 300 podcast guests to date, this is a perk available exclusively to Humans of Purpose gold members. You can become a gold member and support the podcast today by hitting the link in our show notes. Today, I'm pleased to bring you my conversation with Dr. Tani Bridson. Tani is the founder of Hand in Hand Peer Support. Hand in Hand is a registered charity that provides free, confidential peer support for health professionals in Australia and New Zealand. Hand in Hand was born out of the lack of mental health support that healthcare professionals have access to, and the extreme pressures and demands that they face as part of their vital work exacerbated in the recent midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Tani also works as a psychiatry registrar at the Royal Melbourne Hospital and Origin and is the winner of the 2022 Queensland Australian of the Year Award. Tani is also a member of the illustrious Forbes 30 Under 30, underscoring just how much she's achieved in a very short amount of time on this planet. In this episode, you'll hear a very candid and inspiring account of Tani's journey and what it takes to do what Tani has done, especially given the raft of barriers she's faced in her life. Young people like Tani inspire the hell out of me, and her grit, resilience, and power really shine through in this conversation. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Tani as much as I did. Well, I am absolutely thrilled to be joined by Tani. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Welcome to the Cremorne Studio, I should say, first of all. The fact that you got parking is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I love this space. I can't <laughs> believe it exists. <laughs> I, I am like, the words that you said before, not blowing any smoke anywhere, but like this is the, the best podcast experience I've had already before we even started recording. Like, it made me a little bit nervous, but excited. <laughs> It's just so professional. I love it. Yeah, thank you. Well, it's great to have you here. Absolutely thrilled that you're uh, with us. Before we kick off, and maybe just in classic Humans of Purpose style, it'd be great to just hear a bit about your life, career, work journey to date, um, where you grew up, what drew you to psychiatry, wherever you'd like to start. So I'm actually not from Melbourne. (laughs) Um, I'm from a tiny little country town in far north Queensland 
which I'm guessing most people would never, ever have heard of, but it's called Mariba. Um, and yeah, I went to basically a public school. I had parents who didn't finish high school. So my mum was actually an immigrant from Sicily in the 70s, um, came over not speaking a word of English. And my dad was um, kind of the boy from the bush. So he came from the outback um, and basically also didn't get to finish school. So I had a very different kind of upbringing than a lot of my colleagues, I think, or a lot of people that I tend to work with. Um, and sort of grew up with this idea that, um, you know, because of my background, I was often told that I wouldn't be able to go to uni or I wouldn't be able to do medicine or, you know, it'd be really hard to sort of achieve in life because people that come from those backgrounds can't bridge the gap and can't. Would you mean you're being half Italian? <laughs> I don't know what you mean. Oh, no, like as in like being from a kind of family who came from nothing. Like, oh, yeah. the socioeconomic yeah. gap. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. That, okay. Yeah. <laughs> the Italian. I was well, like, I, I know lots of Italian. No, <laughs> no, they're, they're fine. No, but it's more like the, the kind of coming from the country and, oh. you know, having parents who didn't go to high, like didn't get to finish high school, didn't yep. go to uni. Yep. Had, Excuse my ignorance on that No, yep. no, don't worry. Um, But it's just, it's a very different, I think I come from a very different background than a lot of the people I work with totally. or a lot of colleagues yeah. or even just like a lot of people that Medicos I Medicos sort of, that come from medical yeah, families. Exactly. And yep. No no one in my family, but not even that. They hadn't even gone to uni. Yes. And there was, you know, often this idea or like I remember teachers sort of saying that, you know, they didn't think that I, you know, would be able to do it. And, you know, there was all this sort of like negative talk that unless you had a certain background, you wouldn't be able to achieve anything. Um, so I really, I think in, on the one hand, I'm really stubborn and I had some amazing like teachers and professors at uni and stuff who really supported me and sort of drove me. But I also had those people who, you know, really sort of made you feel like you weren't good enough. Like doubters? Yeah, oh, doubters. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love the duality of that. So yeah. like you had um, people who were kind of like vouching for you, but then people who were doubting you and both drove you? Yeah. Yeah. I had, I mean, I think there's good and bad things. The people that really believed in me, I wanted to do well for them. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to also prove them right that I could do this. But the people that doubted me, you know, there it sort of ended up that I've got this chronic kind of imposter syndrome yep. um, in life where I just am always feeling like I'm not good enough or I don't deserve to be doing whatever it is that I'm doing or I don't, you know, I'm like, this imposter that somebody's going to find out once upon a, like, you know, down the track that I'm not actually meant to be here and I didn't pass my med exams or I didn't pass my school exams. I bet you have nightmares like that. Like <laughs> I do. Stress I, nightmares. I, I have wake up sometimes thinking that I still have to sit my exams at school and I'm like, oh. <laughs> I, and like um, I always have the one about like turning up to school um, without underpants or like <laughs> bottom halves on. I'm like that just makes no sense. That's crazy. But like, you know, those those irrational, embarrassing dreams that just prey on your deepest fears. And Yeah. 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 So I sort of um, – I think it's really good in some ways because I am quite stubborn um, and I really wanted to prove people wrong. Like mm. I really wanted to – or not even prove them wrong, but I just didn't want to give in. Yeah. I didn't want to like – you sort of give in to people's expectations. I just wanted to at least say that I'd always given it my best. And yeah. that was one thing my dad especially always said to me was, it doesn't matter what you do or where you get to in life as long as you know that you've tried your best. And so I really Love held that. on held on to that. Yeah. Um, but obviously like it's, um, you know, yes, it's good to be really driven and um, to want to do your best all the time, but it also comes with downsides. So 
um, that kind of imposter syndrome feeling means that a lot of the time, you know, I'm quite anxious and, you know, I get quite... You're um, a perfectionist? Yeah, I'm a perfectionist yeah. um, and I'm constantly thinking that I'm going to fail at something. <laughs> yeah, that makes two of us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know I sort of got off tra- track as to like no, no. my life. This is, but... this is good. I, I like this stuff. I feel like I'm kind of in therapy also right now. <laughs> but, but I guess that's kind of my background is that, you know, I, I came from... I, I never thought I would get to where I am today and not that I'm, you know, like I'm proud of where I've You've got achieved to. It. Let's take a moment to just consider. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I You don't ha- like that? I No, I haven't. I haven't achieved that much. Like I... Can- you're, you're really young. <laughs> like I'm 39. I just turned 39. And I think my best achievement was last year when I had Marlo, my son. Aww. Um Yeah. And like I, I'm pretty much done now. I'm, I'm tapping out. So... <laughs> I don't, I don't think it gets – I don't think I can achieve much more. No, I'm just I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> but I really, really for me, like, you know, life has been about chapters, not achievements as much. Yeah. Um, so, like, I'm married to a perfectionist. So <laughs> I know, like, how you present is so similar and it's, like, just ironic as well because she's a medical specialist too. So, you know, I think that's a very common thing amongst medical professionals. But I think, you know, when we reflect on what we've done um, – you know, life is about seasons and chapters, maybe a bit more so for me these days. <laughs> yeah, it's a good it's a good reflection, actually. Yeah. Sorry, I took us off course. No, there, no, but, no, um, so did I. Yeah, no. So um you had the imposter syndrome. And, and I must say, I mean, do you first of all think that this is fairly widespread, the imposter syndrome feeling? Not just for your um group or cohort, but just like across the board. I think we we all in a way feel a bit of imposter syndrome, don't we? Yeah. I've had this conversation with someone at a conference recently who came up to me and said well, this whole imposter syndrome, don't most human beings kind of feel like, you know, that they don't belong where they are or that, you know, that they don't deserve, they don't the deserve it. Yep. And I think that's true in a lot of respects. I think a lot of people do sort of have that, oh, am I meant to be here or someone's made a mistake. And, you know, there's kind of the extreme ends of things. There's the people that are like your kind of classic narcissists yep. who are, you know, very nothing could deter them they you know would never think that they haven't done the right thing but yeah. i think for the majority of people like you said some of, we have at least some some imposter syndrome that you know we don't yeah i had a day last week where um i don't cry a lot but i was sort of like really down about like thinking that across all of the things that i do maybe i'm a failure at all of them and i th- i think we all have moments like that um and maybe maybe i don't call it imposter syndrome because i'm lucky that i feel generally usually confident enough to get by, mm. but I had a real moment of self-doubt. But I think like, you know, self-doubt is is part of what it means to be a human being, right? Yeah. And a healthy level of self-doubt. I, I think a level of self-doubt is good as well. You know, you don't want to be the person that always thinks you're going to be right because yeah. that's, that's when there's problems, yep. right? Um, but you also don't want to be the person who always thinks you're or who's always doubting yourself yeah, either. Totally. There's like that middle ground. It's a fine balance, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you, you grow up with a bit of imposter syndrome yeah. from a country town, <laughs> you decide to study medicine. Mm. Well, actually I really, um, I loved music growing up and, um, Ooh, your Broadway loves. Yes. Mm. Yes. I actually, <laughs> I wanted to go and do like uni at the conservatory of music or oh, wow. NIDA or, you know, I had this idea that I was going to go to Broadway like Glee, you know, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the show. <laughs> I used to be forced to watch it by a former partner. I'm discard. <laughs> but it was so, fun at times. I always, you know, I sort of dreamed of that that kind of life. But I think, um, 
and I, and I like what I'm doing, but I think sometimes, you know, when you do kind of become that high achiever, people. That was a great dinner. So great. Wait, where'd you park the car? Oh, the one I just sold at Carvana. What? When did you do that? When you were still looking at the menu. I went on Carvana.com and all I had to do was enter the license plate or VIN, answer a few questions and got a real offer in seconds. They picked up the car already? No, I parked around the corner. But they are picking it up tomorrow and paying me right on the spot. Oh, no wonder you picked up the check. Yeah, about that. Uh, thought we were going halfsies. Sell your car to Carvana. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get a real offer in seconds. sort of have this idea of where your life should lead. Yeah, it's like they like kind of a pro forma a bit of a narrative for you. Yeah, and I think that sort of ended up happening to me and it's not that I regret it. It's just I think that, again, that being that perfectionist person meant that when I went for medicine, I went for it wholeheartedly and I didn't have time for all those things that I really loved. That I had to drop the the Broadway aspirations. (laughs) Well, you know, and it's not even about being a Broadway star, but just, um, you know, like keeping up your hobbies, like doing music That's a serious hobby though, right? Like that's that's a pretty serious hobby. Like for somebody who's very serious about medicine, like I know how all-consuming it can be. And it is. And that's that's the – that's kind of – it's a blessing but a curse, I think, um, in that – to be somebody who's like super perfectionistic and driven, you tend to sort of just focus on one thing and everything else falls to the wayside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not, I don't know if it's bad or good. I think it depends who you are. But Well, I think the pursuit of excellence is great. Mm. Um, so I think there's a lot of positives to it. But I, I also think that um, it does like maybe in other professions or things, uh, pursuits, careers, there is room for other indulgences or um, hobbies, whereas I do feel like um, medical specialties in particular do crowd out that potential space for, um, you know, the things we enjoy about life outside work. Um, and there is that kind of tendency to attract obsessive people who are perfectionists because you kind of need to be that way about the work to do well, right? Yeah, you do. I still remember um, <laughs> one of my bosses as a med student being like, well, you know, I want my surgeon to be like obsessive yeah. so that they don't leave anything in me. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like the surgeon's so confident in their opinion. Oh, I'm like it's the worst. But hold on, <laughs> wait, what? Like you, you want them to operate? Without confidence? Yeah. <laughs> Is that what you're looking for? <laughs> like you you need those traits. You want a confident but, surgeon, I think. Yeah. You need a confident doctor and a competent mm. doctor and a competent healthcare yes. worker, whatever yeah. they may be. Um, But yeah, it's sort of like sometimes I think it can be at the expense of other things in life. Yeah. And that's sort of when it becomes... Well, it might not be a problem. So I, I talked just um, – I did a panel discussion the other day with um, a couple of other senior doctors, and one of them was a surgeon who was saying, you know, her life is basically all medicine, but that's what she loves. Yeah. Like, that is her – Yeah, I get that. – love of life. And I think if that's the case, then it's fine. Yeah. Um, but if it's more that, you know, there's this idea that if you're in medicine, you have to be doing all of this and it has to all be towards your career and everything has to be, you know – completely focused on the end goal, then that's when it, you know, it stops. Well, that's when you get people becoming burnt out and people become unwell and, you know, they they lose interest in their profession and yeah. they're no longer actually good doctors anymore because totally. they're just going to work, going, doing what it is that they're supposed to do without actually enjoying it anymore. Do you experience a bit of that? I've definitely had, like, episodes where I think I've I've ended up feeling like that. Hmm. Um like quite burnt out and flat? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely burnt out. I mean, I think a lot of us probably with COVID have been burnt out, like more so than ever before. But um, Healthcare workers in particular had a rough COVID, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think a lot of us probably have some degree of burnout after the last couple of years. But um, yeah, I think I've had periods like during my med school life and then doctor, junior doctor life where I've sort of put so much effort into medicine and you know life as a doctor that it's just got to the point where I no longer enjoy it and yeah. and going to work is just a chore yep. and it's like I have to go to work because this is what pays my bills yep. and there's this idea that you have to just stick to this same journey like you just have to keep going down the same path you can't veer from it because people don't do that that's yep. not a done thing yeah and um, you almost get penalized for veering yeah and it's even like just you know I remember someone once saying to me that um, if you didn't, like, find a partner in med school or uni, then you would never find a partner because life got too difficult. How bleak is that? And I know. And I, at the time, I just remember being, like, 21 and thinking, what? (laughs) And, but, you know, it's, it's almost like, it's not true, but I understand what it is that they meant by that because once you, you know, you have this idea that when you're at uni, everything's going to get better once you graduate, yeah. or I did. Yeah. And I think a lot of, like, people I see at university think that too. Yeah. But then you realise, like, no, it doesn't get better. Then I'm just working, like, eight to five every single day yeah. and I'm supposed to study and I'm supposed to do all this extracurricular to try and get onto different training programs and mm. I have to try and impress my colleagues and my seniors so that I can do X, Y, Z. And then it's, like... Five years later, you're like, well, where have the last five years gone and what have I done that's actually not work-related? Yeah. And I think that's how I sort of ended up feeling la- towards the end of last year. Um, not that I don't, you know, value what I do and I don't enjoy it and I'm not proud of what I do with, like, work and extracurricular, but I got to the point where I was like, wow, I've actually – I was seeing my friends from high school and stuff and I was like, wow, I've not had the same life as them you know, Mm. and not that that's, it's not a bad thing. It's not a judgment or anything. It's just, I was actually, you know, I remember growing up thinking I didn't want to get stuck in the the town, in this tiny country town. And I didn't want to have to just end up there and never leave. And, you know, it was like my greatest fear. But now when I go back, if I I catch up with people I know, I catch up with friends, I'm like, well, you know what, they're actually, they're happy and they're, they're living their best life and they travel and like, they can do all these things. They have spare time. They have kids or, you know, they have partners that they get to do all these really fun things with. And it's like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> well, I, I've got your LinkedIn open here. So I can tell you some of the amazing things. Yeah, I think you know, but you've done incredible other stuff. I mean, I think um, this is always an interesting discussion to have about the road less traveled and sort of the what that brings. Mm. And, and, and I'm, I'm curious, you know, so all this experience and this learning from early stage, how does hand-to-hand sort of enter the fray? Yeah, so hand-in-hand. Hand-in-hand, hand in hand, hand sorry. Hand in hand. Yep. It's all good. Um, it came about. The original story that mm. we sort of, um, I guess, talked about and told everyone was that at the beginning of COVID, you know, I think everyone saw what was happening overseas. It was really, you know, bad, oh, yeah. <laughs> bleak. Yep. Um, and healthcare workers in particular were, you know, having quite a hard time. And I remember seeing stories of nurses and doctors who had, you know, ended their life with suicide yep. or, you know, just things were A couple terrible. of shocking stories going around about that in Melbourne too. Yeah. So lots of really terrible things happening and we just – I talked to a couple of colleagues and I remember saying like 
well, this is like on our doorstep. It's about to enter Australia. What are, like, what are we going to do? Mm. And and all of us were like, well, surely there must be something out there. Like there must be something in the works to, to look make, after the healthcare to workers to make sure that this doesn't happen. Yep. Um, and we sort of looked around and we couldn't find anything. And mm. so we just sort of we um went on social media and said, hey, we've got this idea. What does everyone think? <laughs> and you know, it was sort of like that. It's like Twitter or um, we went on Facebook yeah, actually, yeah. and um. It was just like that period, I think, where everyone was really anxious about what was going to happen. And probably everyone was online too because they couldn't do anything yep. else. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, we got this massive response within like 24, 48 hours and we were like, wow, okay, well, people actually want this. It's like, let's make it happen. Mm. And the specifics of how we made it happen are like a blur. <laughs> I kind of just remember it somehow like turning from thoughts into action. Did you need to get funding? Was that a big part of the No, so we we didn't get funding until recently. Oh, wow. So we, yeah, one of my colleagues likes to say that we're a garage band. So we started (laughs) from the garage and- I did see a tweet about that. I didn't understand it because (laughs) I use garage band on my Mac to produce the podcast and I'm like, how are you like a Mac- Audio production no. platform. Yeah, that, that was <laughs> no running on the smell of an oily yeah, rag. Yeah, okay. Kind of gotcha. Garage band, you gotcha. know, practicing yep. in the basement. No, gotcha. I know bands. I get how <laughs> bands work. So that was, you know, that's how we kind of started, and we just went based on like volunteers and goodwill, mm. and had lots of people who sort of wanted to help and get something up and running as well. And that's how we operated for years, basically. So is this people just giving their time in their spare yeah, time? basically just people. Healthcare workers. Healthcare who, workers wow. giving spare time, which none of us have a lot of. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, everyone just kind of pitching in and, and helping out wherever they can. And you were kind can. of leading the ops and awesome Yeah, so there was, my, there was myself. I mean, I'm the one who came up with the name. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, nice. Yeah. <laughs> it haunts me now, that name. <laughs> um, but there were others who were, you know, really instrumental. So a couple of, like, Brett McDermott and Kim Jenkins yeah. um, and a couple of other really senior doctors who jumped on board straight away and you know, we didn't have money or any any sort of material things to make it happen, but we kind of had manpower to to get things up and running. And so th- how much of this is your time now? Uh, in the very beginning, it was a lot. I remember that first year not sleeping very much. Mm, which is not great for you. Your <laughs> no. well-being, you might have needed more peer support because of that. It's ironic. Yeah. But as we kind of, um, and I mean, it still does take a lot of time and even just things like getting funding and, you know, getting the word out there. And last year was another really big year in that we had heaps of support because I kind of like we won a couple of awards and things, but the more like recognition you get, the more busy yes, you actually get as well. And so yeah. the more we kind of had to upscale and we were doing more events and we were yeah. doing more things. And um, so it's kind of, I don't know, it's a bit like having a startup. It's kind of just learning as we go and trying to figure it out as we go. What is a startup? Sort of. <laughs> well, it is a startup, yeah. basically. Yeah, you, you're a founder. Yeah, it's a, it's a startup. You're on the startup journey in a garage band, yeah. which is great. <laughs> um, and I guess, yeah, so in the beginning, and it was, it is about COVID, it is about, but it's also, I guess, um, going back further, you know, I think this was something that most of us involved in it felt that was needed for a really long time. So, And it's often not talked about, but there are a lot of healthcare workers that have a history of mental illness Mm -hmm. or, you know, there's, I think all of us in medicine have probably at least known one person who, or one doctor who's ended their life with suicide. Oh, that's shocking. Which, you know, it's, it's a sad kind of fact, unfortunately, but for me personally, I had um, a GP who um, was from my hometown. Mm. 
So, I, you know, he was the GP that delivered me. He looked after my grandparents um, and he died by suicide um, while I was in med school, which was really unexpected. Um, and then on the same, at the same end, um, one of the other things that I think I sort of decided that instead of just sort of walking the walk or talking the talk, I had to walk the walk as well in that I've had my own battles with mental illness. And it was something that as much as I really wanted to fight and to provide solutions for it, I'd been really scared to sort of speak up about it. And it wasn't until I guess our initiative really took off that and with the backing of, you know, people that I trusted that, you know, everyone was sort of like. It's so risky talking yeah, about it in it, the profession. It's it's really risky. And yeah, and even even now when I talk about it, sometimes it, it's quite challenging because people take it in different ways. There's there's people that you work with who are amazing and, you know, who really respect you for talking about it. But there's also colleagues that, you know, will say really terrible things yeah. um, in your presence. Would you like to talk a bit more about your experience? Yeah. <laughs> if you feel like Yeah, no, good. that's fine. Um, so when I was in med school, basically, I um, – Again, it, and a lot of it is to do with the whole like perfectionist kind of personality yeah. obsessiveness, but um, had a really quite challenging experience as a senior med student mm. and basically ended up collapsing at uni and got diagnosed with anorexia, um, which was something that I never thought I would be diagnosed with. I never even, even though I was clearly anxious as a kid growing up and mm. at uni and at high school, I never even kind of put two and two together and mm. figured that it was like a problem mm. <laughs> um, or that, you know, this was something that was going to plague me <laughs> like for years on end. Um, and so, yeah, as a med student, it was really quite difficult because I think there was kind of this, I, I had people who were really supportive and I still work with those people. But again, you always have like, you have people who sort of doubt you. Yeah, and I think the other thing to say, um, not to sort of speak over your experience because no. it's certainly yours to own, but, I mean, the the shame and the blame that comes along with something like anorexia nervosa in particular, like uh, it was a choice kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, that is my Eat most, a burger. <laughs> just my most hated trope. And, and, and it does come along with other mental illnesses, I know that, but with, with anorexia, people just see like, oh, you're skinny, just eat more. Yeah. Like, the, like what a helpful contribution. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Thank you. That really helps me. And also that idea that it's probably your fault for that mm -hmm. is it just like layers on the kind of struggle. Yeah. Yeah. I That was, I think, one thing. And you're right. Like that was sort of the – and that was how I felt too when I was first told because I was like, oh, my God, this is like my fault. I should just be eating more. Yeah. <laughs> and why am I not eating more? This is yeah. weird. Yeah. Um. But then it was also like this, it was really strange for me because I think I'd always been like a slim build. I'd been like I'd done dancing and I'd done all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And You're a little person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and no one kind of ever said anything. Yeah. Like I had, I guess, picked up that my way of coping with stress was I stopped eating as much. Yes, okay. But I never realized it was a problem. Yep. Like I just... Also, sometimes, like, certain people are emotional eaters, right? Yeah. So it is quite common if you feel stressed to not want to eat. Yeah. So yeah. I was I was the opposite, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and there's people like that. And so it wasn't until, like, I got medically unwell to the point that somebody, like, stuck me in a hospital bed yep. that I realized. And even then I didn't realize. I was still like, why am I here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just give me some food and I'll be fine, yeah. you know? 
I'll um, eat the burger, damn it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that was, and honestly, that was me for like years before mm. I even, and even now, sometimes I still struggle to kind of accept it because as much as I'm in psychiatry, I'm a psychiatry, you know, in psychiatrist in training, whatever. Mm. Um, even psychiatrists don't understand eating disorders. Yeah, that's amazing. I don't talk about it openly, I guess, when I'm at work. Yeah. So people would only know if they sort of Googled or like, which most bosses couldn't be bothered to Google their junior doctors, I don't think. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, you know, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess you could be surprised the amount of like, oh, I don't know. I actually don't know whether yeah. I or not. I'm just speculating. <laughs> well, just, I don't, I don't think. I don't think anyone would be typing in no. names and then it's like a search term for a mental illness. No, or exactly. Like, I think so. a lot of people just, you know, wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't sort of think about it. And um, so they sort of, even in psychiatry, you hear people talk about these illnesses, like eating disorders in really inappropriate ways or, you know, they, they don't. That was a great dinner. So great. Wait, where'd you park the car? Oh, the one I just sold at Carvana. What? When did you do that? When you were still looking at the menu. I went on Carvana.com and all I had to do was enter the license plate or VIN, answer a few questions, and got a real offer in seconds. They picked up the car already? No, I parked around the corner. But they are picking it up tomorrow and paying me right on the spot. Oh, no wonder you picked up the check. Yeah, about that. Uh, thought we were going halvesies. Sell your car to Carvana. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get a real offer in seconds. mean to but they just say things that are just kind of so blaming towards the individuals and for me when I've been in situations like that I've you know found it really hard and it actually has like a massive impact on my own mental health when I'm sort of challenged with those concept like those ideas at work yeah I um, mean, it's rough i mean and but i think like you know the texture of life and like difficulty and facing adversity like you know speaking as somebody who's had their own share of challenges i would much rather see a psychiatrist who's also had life challenges you know <laughs> like yeah otherwise it's sort of like there are these psychiatrists that like you know we've all probably heard about or you know reference that is like perfect uh, yes and like what could be worse than seeing someone perfect to help explain to you why and how you're broken and how to fix it. Yeah. And and I feel like I feel like that too, but I feel like in our training there's this teaching, this kind of older school teaching that we're not allowed to talk about our own experiences. Yeah, you have to be a bit infallible with yeah, the doctor. You and you have mm. to be seen as like and and I don't understand it in reality because well, <laughs> you know, when I am unwell and I'm seeing someone, if they come across as perfect, it makes it so much more difficult. Yeah the worst and you know not especially but because i am a doctor as well when i see that they're like they have this shell that just doesn't break and you know they just seem to be so glassy and cold and you just think like it makes you feel like you're never going to get past something that's challenging because it's yeah and i think maybe part of it is also just like from a broader health context like how we value lived experience yeah. and how we talk about it and not just in the clinical setting for for people or advisors or clinical advisors but practitioners yeah like i think you know to see 
people who have had great lived experience in certain ways can really enrich the quality of care that people are getting. And instead of sort of seeing that as a real positive, I think we are starting to see more of a positive conception of that. It's more seen as like, oh, well, I don't know if that person can be elevated or in a senior role because they have these challenges. Mm. Well, shouldn't you think that if they're able to do what they're doing with those challenges, isn't that a really robust, resilient person that impresses you more? Yeah. Like, that's that's how I see it. Well, that's how I see it too. And I think more people are starting to see it and more people in health as well yeah. are, are starting to see that. I think, and it's not, this is like a generalisation, but I think some of maybe the older generation are less of that opinion, yeah. which is sometimes a struggle. But I think those of us coming through now are much more... Um, in tune with like the lived experience and the importance mm. of actually talking about it and not kind of, you know, pretending like everyone's perfect and, yeah. and, and everything's fine because that actually that doesn't work. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and it, it sets really bad culture, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think it contributes to more and more burnout, more depression, more stress amongst the medical profession. You know, if anything, I mean, the pandemic puts so much pressure on healthcare workers and they experienced significant rates of distress and needed a space whether they could talk to other people experiencing similar things. Yeah, and that's where peer support comes in, obviously. <laughs> yeah, and so, I mean, for those who don't understand the, the idea or the concept of peer support, do you want to just give a little primer on mm. where, where it comes from, why it's important? So peer support actually originated with, like, the lived experience movement. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the um, original examples is, for instance, the Alcoholics Anonymous. Yep. So the 12 Steps um, AA meetings where people that had an experience of, you know, alcohol use disorder or um, whatever it might have been could actually get together and talk about their experiences. Mm. Um, and it's sort of like over the years um, changed and chopped and changed into different things. And now we obviously see a lot of lived experience in mental health. So peer workers who have an experience of being unwell and can talk to other people who are going through it. But there's also things like, I mean, it, it can be as simple as mum and mums and bubs groups. So that's peer support, you know, new mums who have new babies who are catching up, meeting together and talking about the challenges of being a new mum. So it, it comes, it's not just about um, illness or, you know, disorders or it, it comes in many, many forms. And really, like you said, the idea is just actually getting to talk to other people who are going through similar things mm -hmm. um, because this old school notion that you have to keep it all inside and not talk about it and, you know, we have to be like this kind of, I don't know what the word is, but, you know, we're infallible. Yeah, like an you know, automaton almost, like yeah. just like perfect order working robot. Yeah. Just like there's no, you know, dips or troughs. And yeah, no emotion kind yeah, of. Yeah, unemotional, I guess, yes. might be the one. Um, But that, I, I think we've seen in the past that that doesn't work and mm. it just it actually, I think, ends worse in most cases. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, during COVID, um, I actually myself experienced a pretty bad bout of depression and found it really hard to find the right support groups. And mm. this is just from like an individual perspective, like I was getting a bit of um, therapy and counselling and some I was getting medical help, but, you know, I found it really hard to find support groups. And that's the one thing that I really felt like would have helped me at the time. Um, was just being able to connect to a group of people regularly who were having, you know, similar challenges or experiences. So when I saw this, I was just thinking, like, definitely such a good solution to what's a problem. Like, you know, what is the expression a problem shared is a problem halved, you mm -hmm. know, that kind of idea. Yeah. And I think that's our hope too is it's not, you know, we obviously started with um, healthcare workers, but all of us that sort of do this can see the value in having it across different 
you know, different industries um, for people with lived experience of mental illness, for people of lived experience of other things. And we've actually had um, quite a lot of people come to us and reach out and, you know, from various groups or various professions and say, hey, we actually would really love to get this off the ground for our organisation. Yep. Can you give us a hand? Yep. Um, so I think people, um, you know, it's been shown that it can be done and that it works and, and people are actually thinking, yeah, this is really good. How can we make this happen for us? And I love this um, this paper. Probably not a lot of the podcasts you've been on have read your um, peer-reviewed <laughs> Australian Psychiatry paper from December 2022. Thank you. <laughs> Australian healthcare workers' experiences of peer support during COVID-19 hand-to-hand peer support. And this is an excellent paper, by the <laughs> Thank way. You. So, so well done on that. And you did some large surveys and um, some interesting findings. I mean, do you want to speak to the key findings or? Well, actually, I have to give credit to mm. um, Erica Musgrove. So she's a junior doctor yep. who started with us as a med student and she actually led the research mm, on wow. this, okay. um, which is kind of part of our um, ethos as well in that we want juniors to be able to come through and actually sort of lead things and yeah. not always have to. Um, so it's something we're quite proud of. But um, basically, overall, we showed that most people found the peer support experience um, was helpful yep. and that it, you know, it helped them feel connected. And mm-hmm. um, for the most part, you know, most people found it was really useful. I can't remember the specific yeah, so <laughs> stats maybe, I'll, off the I'll top of my head. I won't, I won't reel off stats. I largely agree with exactly what you said as reflected in the study, but do the interesting that it tended to be used more by females and senior mm. clinicians? Yes, that's well, right. What's your thinking on why that might be? Good question. Um, Mm. I think in terms of the, we still tend to have quite a lot more females than males. Mm. And um, some of it probably just comes down to the fact that I think, you know, we we know that men in general are worse at help seeking. And I I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's no different with doctors or healthcare workers. Um, So it's how can we reach them more, Mm. I think, as part of our kind of, well, not reach them. I think they know about us, but it's, how can we encourage them more to actually get help? This is part of the, the man struggle. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, but also I think on the other hand, the thing that we did find was um, I think peer support seemed a lot less scary. Um, like people felt like they could come and get support easier than, say, going to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Yeah. And it's just, again, it comes down to the stigma, but, um, you know, people almost felt like it was acceptable mm. in COVID and in this setting to actually get support. But then when they, when you listen to them and you talk to them, you actually realise what they were wanting support for. It wasn't COVID. It was stuff that's been there all along. Yeah. And um, actually this just gave them a way in. Yeah. to get validated. And so the other interesting observation would be around more senior clinicians, and that to me speaks to the idea that you, you have to get to a certain yeah. point of power or seniority before you can feel entitled to um, share the risky secret that you might be experiencing yeah. some difficulty. Yeah, I think that was probably our hypothesis as well. It's a real, such a shame that that's a thing. It is. I, I think, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head in that a lot of juniors do – find it harder to sort of step up and get support. And one of the ways that we're trying to kind of combat that head on is actually going into the university. So we've started a program with um, one of the university's peer support for med students. Mm -hmm. So actually trying to get in there early. So good. 
because we know that the juniors are less likely or we've seen that the juniors are less likely to actually come to us for help. So why don't we go to them? Yeah, no, I think that's that's spot on. Like I, I many years, many years have been spent for me thinking about why we still as a society and as a profession stigmatise mental health. Do you have any kind of thoughts as to why that might be? I wish or it any wasn't. <laughs> I wish it wasn't that way. And I from Obviously a, you're trying to change it and you are changing it, which uh, is awesome. You're trying, part of the solution. Trying, but I have to admit, I still feel like I feel like it's good to talk about it and it's good that we are talking about it. But you know, every now and then when I'm talking about my own experience, there's this like little voice in my head saying, Oh no, like, you know, what are people gonna say about me? What yeah. are they gonna think? And, you know, even just Recently, like I was unwell at the end of last year, like mm-hmm. it had been a really big year, like a great year, mm-hmm. but it was just a lot. Yeah. And I sort of let it get on top of me. And I was so scared because people knew my history and I was worried because I thought everyone's going to know what's wrong with me. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, I don't have an answer other than that I think, unfortunately, people still do judge. And that was why I felt so ashamed of like being unwell myself because Mm. I knew there were people out there judging me and talking about me and you must have been you might have been thinking at the time here's another piece of evidence why maybe I shouldn't be trusted exactly and and it was like that imposter voice in your head and there's this kind of you know I think it's really important to keep doing it and to you know and to be around people who also validate that it's important and that no, you're not defective because you've got an illness. Mm. Actually, that illness makes you different and also gives you an experience that others might not have and an insight that others might not have. I kind of try to think about it, and I know this is a bit of a trope as well, but a superpower. So, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's Superman, like, you know, had his things, also had these kryptonite. And so, <laughs> you know, you've got to, in a way, having a mental illness is a bit of a gift because it makes you work so much harder to, you know, and you get so much more enjoyment out of achieving things because you, the work that you have to do on yourself every day, every month, every week, every year, um, people just on the outside just don't understand. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we, we take, we, we kind of have an armory, we have our armor on, we do the things that we know will put us in a strong position and then still sometimes we fall into holes and that's just life. Yeah. And no, I think that's a really good point. And it sort of comes back to what you said as well at the beginning that there's this you've got a physical illness and then you've got a mental illness. And it's one of those things that I really want to be part of breaking that this like dichotomy that there's a difference between a physical illness and a mental illness. But there is this perception still in the wider public that a mental illness is something you can control. Totally. And And that it's your fault. Yeah. And I think it's even like, and I don't want to cast any judgments here, but I think it's particularly hard for men um, because we're sort of seen as archetypally like these strong, you know, like mentally very rational beings that just, you know, like, you know, to have a mental illness just means you're a really defective man. Yeah. So I, I that's really hard, I think, yeah. in our space as well. Um, and so are you seeing, you know, in, it must be hard for you to sort of think objectively about this, but are you happy with sort of the way things are tending with the change that you're seeing, not just as a result of hand in hand, but, you know, your observations overall of workplace culture, society shifts? Yeah, I think – I mean, there's obviously still challenges out Mm, there, mm. but I think overall things are hopefully getting better or at least you can pick the places to work or the the groups to be in 
where these things are valued and where, you know, you're treated as an equal and there isn't that stigma. Mm. And that's definitely what I, I'm doing at the moment is I, you know, I, I work in a place at the moment that has a great culture and is super supportive. It's and, Origin, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And, and, you know. Shout out to Origin, one of our <laughs> favorite podcast person providers. Um, and I, and I love, I love working there. Yeah. So, um, you know, for me doing that kind of stuff and making sure that I'm working in an environment where I really can just start like thrive. Yeah. Um, makes a really big difference. Um, and also seeing like the impact that we can then have on other people and our patients and young people mm. makes a really big difference. And what about the uptake? Um, obviously, there's a huge amount of awareness raising that's happened with um, Hand in Hand, but what's the uptake like of other health services and whatnot? Are you seeing it sort of grow and a lot of demand for this to spread? Yeah, so we've um, we've done what's well, kind of all over the place, but we um, have had a fair few different kind of organizations and groups reach out to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, even at my workplace, we're talking about, you know, how can we do this? How can we look after each other? Which is really like really amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it's something that we would love to get out there even more and sort of make it like more of like a normal part of every like health organization. Absolutely. This is just something people can get easily. Yeah. So that that's sort of like a bit of the the goal yeah. on, on the horizon. Yeah. Like make it that it's easily accessible to every single health worker, whether mm. that's because it's available at their own hospital or whether it's that they can just like come to us, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. But, you know, sort of making sure that those support structures are in place and easily accessible. And so I might have asked you this already, but just so I get a fair understanding of how, how you work. So are you full-time at Origin? I am full-time at Origin, so I'm a psychiatry mm-hmm. registrar, but I'm also doing a PhD with um, Origin as well. Yeah, you got enough on your plate there? <laughs> well, it's 0. 0.5, 0. 0.5, so okay. it's it's really it's really good. And okay. I, yeah, I love and it. And this is something that you do, like, just outside of, oh, wow. So, yeah. Yeah. You're pretty awesome. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I'm, like I said, we've got um, some really amazing volunteers on board who, yeah. you know, they all spend their extra hours helping as well, and it just wouldn't be possible without them. And you've got a plush new office as well. Congratulations. We do, thanks to Cabrini. So mm-hmm. they've um, donated us an office space, yep. which is really exciting. In my homehood of Elstonwick, nonetheless. <laughs> and um, we're about to uh, – so most – for the last couple of years, mostly it's just been run by all of us who work full-time. Yep. And then in our spare time, we do this. But um, we're in the process of recruiting our very first – business manager slash executive officer, which is, I think, going to make a really big difference and just mean that having somebody who dedicates their time to this um, hopefully means that we can reach a lot more people. So that's not going to be you? No. (laughs) you got too much on. I still need to finish my training. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but, but presumably you'll still keep a close eye on this. And Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Hey, do you mind if we jump into our section on reflections? Yeah, Where we, go we for just it. talk a bit of uh, wisdom. Um, so this segment is fairly newish, mm-hmm. and it comes from Marcus Aurelius, who was a great Roman, Roman Stoic from thousands of years ago, and he wrote a diary. And in his diary, which was never meant for the public, he would write his thoughts, reflections, and uh, lamentations about the state of the world, society, and what what could be done better. You know how he was feeling, the state of the world per se. So, what I like to do with each guest, just run through a couple of um, sections and just sort of ask you some of the key themes that came up for him. So, one would be around wisdom. 
Is there a piece of wisdom or what is the piece of wisdom you've received that's had the biggest impact on your life and career journey? Hmm. Gosh, that's a tough one. <laughs> um, geez, you've stumped me. Um, I think one of the things that I find, well, I think I still find really helpful Um one of the people I work with has this kind of amazing work-life balance where, you know, work's really important, but also having like time outside of work is super important and being able to switch off between both of those and dedicate like time to each part of your life fully. Um, and that's something that I've always really struggled with, but the older I get, the more I can see how important that is mm. and that, um, trying your best and, you know, being sort of achievement orientated, whatever it might be. Yeah, it's important. But, you know, is that what you're going to remember when you're like 80? <laughs> you know, is that what you want written on your grave? I like it. So you've brought in a bit of legacy thinking there. Yeah. Like I think, you know, someone once said to me when I was younger and really unwell, do you want written on your grave? She worked really hard all her life, <laughs> but had no life. <laughs> and no, I don't. <laughs> um, so I think, I don't know what the the piece of wisdom is. Maybe it's about. I think there's a lot of wisdom in what you just said. So, <laughs> I mean, if I was to draw some strings from that, it might be just not to be so achievement oriented all the time and yeah. to try and lead a more balanced life. Yeah. Well, I think it's like yeah. in our society now we see with the kind of Instagram, TikTok, everything, mm. everyone's life kind of looks perfect almost mm. from the outside but it's not what it looks like it's actually how you feel on the inside yeah. and what makes you happy yeah oh that's beautiful thanks for sharing that <laughs> so health what is it what health what regular health or well-being practice makes the biggest difference to your quality of life mm. well at the moment i really enjoy my pilates so i go um once or twice a week depending on how busy i am um, so I think, I mean, it doesn't have to be Pilates, but having like an activity that you enjoy and can just take some time and just focus on that. I also really love having dogs. Oh like, yeah. How my dogs are just, well, they're actually in far North Queensland, yeah. so I don't get to see them oh. very often, but, um, I have two, um, Princess and Anzac. They're on Instagram, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I just, I feel like animals are just so good for your health and well-being. They yep. just make everything better. Yeah, evidence-based as well. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, what do you consider to be sort of essential elements of your routine? So that how do you – what do you need to do to start off to a good day <laughs> and end a good day? I remember at school once seeing this TED Talk or like YouTube lecture of this like military professor or like what are they called – sergeant yeah. something yeah um <laughs> sorry <laughs> um but um and he gave this talk about how the best thing you can do every morning is to start the day by making your bed mm. because you've already achieved one thing yeah i know that's like very obsessive perfectionist quite outlook very, on life very very popular advice these days <laughs> but it's it's one thing that i stick to if i get up out of bed every morning and i make my bed straight away and it just helps me start the day on a good foot. It means that I'm already organized, like I'm, you know, that's that's like my number one tick box at the start of every day. Make my bed, get ready. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. And to end the day, do you have a, 
a routine, wind down routine or anything you recommend? Uh, I'm not great at it. I try to... Um, Do you have a time by which you stop work? Not always. It's something I'm working on. I have this like routine at the end of the day where I go through my to-do list and make sure, sort of tick off what I've done and write another to-do list for the next day. <laughs> Such a such a medical professional. It's such, such a like. It reminds me of my home life too much. It's like a tick box exercise. Yeah. But it's, that's actually one thing that I want to stop doing because I think like. Well, I think it's excellent, but I also can understand why you might want to stop doing yeah, it. Yeah, I think it's, I, I think I tell myself that it's something that makes me feel better or feel like I've achieved something. It's a validation mechanism. Yeah. And You're it's gaining validation all, through your task achievement. All about achievement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's something that I want to turn off because sometimes when I have really good days where I haven't done any of those things on my to-do list, like that are work orientated or whatever, is actually like the best days. Oh yeah, and I have multiple to-do lists, <laughs> and I often just don't tick anything <laughs> off. But like, I still, yeah, th- there is a certain satisfaction from the ticking off of things, but also just getting them done is also very satisfying. Yeah. Just knowing, yeah. just reflecting on, oh, didn't that feel good to get that done? And recognizing the small achievements, yeah. like it doesn't have a to good be conversation or yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be. You have to get like satisfaction out of things that aren't achievement-based, like from internal mm. kind of things. Like yeah. w- one of my um, doctors once told me that I'm quite like driven by this like external um, kind of achievement validation yeah, yeah. type thing, which I think a lot of us are. But at the end of the day, it doesn't always make you happy. Like it doesn't fulfill you. Yep. There are other things that I think are a lot more fulfilling. Yeah, totally agree. That's very, very interesting and mature. Um experimentation. So just considering, are there things that you are doing differently this year as opposed to last year? And if there's a reason you've chosen to do that? Hmm. (laughs) Um, I am trying to, one of my faults is saying yes to everything and taking on too much. And again, it's like this idea that if I say no to things, then I'm proving that I'm not like up to up on par, yep. you know, I'm not that my illness or whatever is getting the best of me and I'm mm. not getting to be the best version of me. Like you should be able to do everything. I should be able to, yeah. yes. There's this, this should, this yeah. constant should. Yeah. Um, And so I think one of the things that I have to or I want to do this year and I'm trying to do is realising that actually like doing everything is impossible mm. and if it if you do manage to do it and it is possible, then you're not really like living your life. You're just again, you're like tick boxing. Yeah, you're just sort of like uh, sort of like without much thought, just floating down the stream, aren't you? Yeah. You're not really making any positive or negative decisions. You're just kind of going with whatever's thrown at you. Yeah, and I think for me now, I I don't want to get like another five years down the track and think, well, that's great. I've you know done all this medicine-y kind of stuff, but. Where is my life at? Yeah. Um, not that that's a bad thing. It's just for me, I think that I'm realizing that there's other parts of life that I really want to enjoy as well, like mm. travel or friends or family and, you know, spending time with people that I care about rather than just spending all my time on work. Totally. I totally feel that. The last one's aspiration. So what do you think would be one thing that we could do differently and better as a society this year as opposed to last year? Um, Well, I mean, I think one of the things that I was really excited about this year, um, and it probably is because it um, is a bit like personal for me Mm -hmm. as well, um, going through the whole like Australian of the Year journey 
in 2022. I was really excited to see that our Australian of the Year for this year is um, Taryn Brumfit, who's um, like a body image activist mm. um, and really, you know, kind of wanting to do things to prevent eating disorders and, you know, promote body acceptance, things like that. So for me personally, I think it's just one of the things that I felt that we could really do better was actually looking after people with mental illness um, and not just looking after them, but sort of empowering them, Mm. empowering people like us who have a lived experience or who are going through difficult times, whatever it might be, to actually be able to get help easier, to feel less stigmatised, to to do things that prevent people from becoming unwell in the first place. So I don't know, that's kind of like one of my aspirations that I think we've got a good footing, like a good start in the year um, and some really good activists out there and... um, What's the word? Yeah, activists, I guess. Um, But we have some really good people out there who are fighting to improve things um, from a mental health point of view, and I think we can really hopefully do things better this year. Yeah, really (laughs) well said. That's, like, very, like, wordy, but you get what I mean. (laughs) I get what you mean. Thank you for indulging me in in that uh, new segment, superb on-the-spot responses. I have just really... I really appreciate you coming in and spending some time with me. I know you how busy you are and um, just been great having you on, Tani. <laughs> Thanks how for can, having uh, me. As a pleasure. How can people connect with you and learn more about your uh, wonderful work? Um, so we have a website, Hand in Hand Peer Support. You can just like Google us. Um, and we're also on like every social media platform. Mm-hmm. So you can reach out to us on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're very, we're generally like pretty happy to make times to chat with people. So if there's other groups out there or um, people who are interested in, you know, getting peer support organised for whatever it may be. Um, Yeah, we're pretty happy to find time to chat with people and help them out wherever we can. So, Awesome. Thanks so much for being with me. (laughs) No worries. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player and why not share it with a friend or two? If you want more from your Humans of Purpose experience, become a Humans of Purpose member today through our new platform, Supercast. All you need to do is hit the link in our show notes. If you have a message to share with our audience about your brand, products, or services, we have a wide variety of paid promotional packages available. Please get in touch by hitting the link in our show notes.